Good. We are in uh, Exodus, starting a new series, God Revealed, Exodus 15 this morning. And as we walk through these chapters in Exodus, we're going to see how God reveals himself to the people of Israel. And of course, we ask the question, what did it mean for them? And what does it mean for us? Today, we'll study a song known as the Song of Moses. And every song has a context. Some songs tell a story. The Canadian National Anthem will be sung multiple times today and tomorrow. It talks about the true north rising strong and free. We pray as we sing that song that God will keep our land. But the anthem doesn't tell a story. Maybe because our independence was not secured through a military victory. The World Cup of Soccer. Any soccer fans here? Yes, there are some happy fans. We're cheering for Brazil, right? Yes. That's good. We're united. Viva Brazil. Um, So the World Cup of Soccer uh, has finished its first round, and uh, the anthems of 32 nations have been played, have been sung, and, and some of the songs actually, you know, tell a story of battle for freedom. It's interesting to hear the fans singing throughout the games. Um, Some of them are dressed like warriors. Uh, According to surveys, 80% of the fans believe that they will have an impact on the outcome of the game. And FIFA, of course, wants everyone to believe that. But they participate. If you're an English fan, then you may find yourself singing some hymns and choruses. It's not unusual at English games for fans to sing this hymn. Uh, Guide me, O thou great Redeemer. Uh, The lyrics of that hymn, it's it's an old hymn. The lyrics come right out of the book of Exodus. Sometimes the fans will sing, you know, when the saints go marching in, or he's got the whole world in his hands. Actually, they change it and they say, we've got the whole world in our hands, probably when they're winning. (laughs) If there's a really good game, the commentator will say, well, this is a game or was a game for the ages. In other words, it'll be remembered for a long time. This was a goal for the ages. Is there a song for the ages? Is there a song to be remembered for all time? Exodus chapter 15, 1, we read, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Well, if you don't know the story... Behind those words, you wonder why the people are singing about a horse and a rider. Why do they sing these words? Why do they refer to God as the Lord? That's a personal name for God. Why the Lord, Yahweh? From the opening pages of the Bible, we discover that God is on a mission to reach humanity. People across the earth are broken. They live separated from God. They are in need of a Savior. In Genesis chapter 11, the peoples on the plain of Shinar, they they build a tower to themselves, the Tower of Babel. God sees their arrogance, and he decides to confuse their languages. They scatter. At the end of that same chapter, God finds a man in that same region who hears his voice and responds with faith. His name is Abraham. 
And God says that he will bless all peoples on the earth through him and his descendants. His grandson, Jacob, moves with the family. The descendants of Abram have been uh, wandering through Canaan. They now go down to Egypt because of famine in the land of Canaan. Pharaoh has offered the land of Goshen to them. It appears to be a blessing. Certainly in God's providence, he has led them there. There are about 75 people. But when we open the book of Exodus... It's the 13th century B.C., and another pharaoh is reigning. Egypt is now the superpower on earth. Pharaoh, he sees himself as the son of the supreme God. He believes that he has divine rights, that he is the absolute sovereign. He can decree that innocent people should die, and he decrees that all male Hebrew children should die. So what was for the people of Israel a garden of Eden, the land of Goshen, has now become a land of horror. A hostile ruler wants to take out all of their male children. As we read the opening chapters of Exodus, the questions we have to ask are, well, where is God? What about the promises that he made to Abraham? Doesn't God hear the cries of his people? Isn't he present, ready to act on their behalf? Exodus chapter 2, verse 25. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Another translation would be, God looked on them and made himself known to them. So God, he hears the cries of his people, and he remembers. When God remembers, God is ready to act. God chooses a leader, raises up Moses. Moses is led to go before Pharaoh. Repeatedly, Moses and Aaron, they message Pharaoh. God says, let my people go. It's like God is texting Pharaoh every day, but he refuses to listen. Nine plagues are sent. The Nile is transformed into blood. There are frogs, gnats, flies, livestock die, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. Not just random acts. No, through each plague, God is targeting one of the Egyptian gods. God is, through these visual demonstrations, showing Pharaoh and the people of Egypt that their belief system is actually empty. Only one God is to be worshipped, and his name is Yahweh, the God who is mighty to save. Exodus 5, 2, we read, Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. The Scriptures say that Pharaoh hardens his heart. The Scriptures also say that God hardens the heart of Pharaoh. Pharaoh chooses to not listen. He refuses to listen. His heart is hard. God gives instructions to his people. A tenth plague is to be sent. The people of Israel are to spread the blood of lambs on their doorposts, the blood of the Passover lamb. In the Egyptian homes, when God passes over, the firstborn dies from the palace of Pharaoh all the way down to the dungeons of captives, and there is a cry of agony across Egypt. Pharaoh finally relents and allows the people of Israel to leave. God leads the people of Israel out, a a, a 
a cloud-like pillar of, of fire before them during the day. At night, a dark cloud going before them. God leads the people of Israel right through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And of course, the question would be, why? Why not the shorter route right into Philistia? Listen, Exodus chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Pharaoh, his heart hardened, he chases after the Israelites. He races with his best officers, with his best chariots, full of battle lust, believing that he will enslave the Hebrews again. The people of Israel, they're sandwiched between the sea and the armies of Egypt. It appears that their journey will come to an end right there on the shores of the Red Sea. What are you up against today? Do you feel that you are penned in? Are you in a situation where it appears that there's just no exit? There is no way out of your crisis. Is it not in this very moment that God would reveal himself to you? Is it not in the moments of greatest despair when God reveals himself as we read through the scriptures? The cloud-like pillar of fire, it's before the people of Israel. Now it moves. And God positions the cloud-like pillar of fire between the people of Israel and the Egyptian armies. The Egyptians cannot move forward throughout the night. And in the wee hours of the morning, Moses, at the command of Yahweh, he stretches out his staff, his hand, over the sea. And there is a strong east wind and the waters divide. And Israel walks through on dry ground, walls of water on both sides. Now, kids, you can imagine the best aquarium in the world. You're walking through on dry ground, and there are whales and fish. God is acting, the God who is mighty to save. All of Pharaoh's warriors, his horses, his chariots, race into the sea, but their forces panic. And Moses, again, now on the other side of the sea, he stretches out his staff, stretches out his hand, and the waters engulf the Egyptians. A mighty act of deliverance, Yahweh, the God who is mighty to save. So we read at the end of chapter 14 in verse 30, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. God has revealed himself to Israel as Yahweh, the God who is money to save. What do they sing? 
They don't say, hey, Yahweh is the God of our fathers. They say, Yahweh is my strength. <laughs> He's my song. He is my salvation, the God who is mighty to save. He's given me all the reason in the world to sing. Yes, he's my father's God. Yes, he did say to Moses at the burning bush, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But now he is my God. Yahweh fights for me. He's a warrior. Yahweh is his name. That's who he is. It's a corporate song of worship. It's also a personal confession of praise. This week, um, one of my friends in Brazil, he was really struggling with the diagnosis that he had received. He was preparing to go for a bone marrow transplant. Uh, about 12 years ago, his father died of bone cancer, and so just uncertain about his future, praying. The church was praying. This week, he went for final exams. So when he talked to the doctor, the doctor had the exams in hand and said to him, you are completely healthy. You are healed. And he messaged all of his friends on Facebook. And when you read the Facebook feed, it's just one chorus after another. People are singing praises to God. One of them is, Who understood that? What does it mean? God says, if, if I'm acting, who will impede me? Who can stop me? It's the experience of my friend this week. It's the experience of God's people around the world. That doesn't mean that God heals in every circumstance, but no matter what our circumstance, we can experience the presence of the God who is mighty to save. At the end of the day, what is most important is not our physical healing in this time, but the healing of our souls. Life is about knowing the Almighty God. It's not about physical healing in a moment. It's about knowing Almighty God and walking with Him. Yahweh, the God who is mighty to save, is not only our Father's God, but is also our God. In faith, it always has to become personal. Well, the Israelites continue to sing. Verse 4 of Exodus 15. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. That's a great example of Hebrew poetry where the second line just elevates what's in the first line. Not only did Pharaoh's chariots go down, his chosen officers went down. The Egyptian military was the best military in the world of that day. And here the best of the best are going down. Verse 5, the floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone, just a graphic description of their demise, right down to the bottom. Your right hand, O Lord, verse 6, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And of course, your right hand, it's a, an Old Testament metaphor of God's power. This is what the Lord said to Moses before the first plague, Exodus 7, verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. 
And we must remember that we too are to humble ourselves under that same mighty hand. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The same God that cared for Israel cares for us today. So how are we doing in this matter of casting our cares on God? I find, even this week, as I walk through the week, a circumstance changes, something surprises me, I get anxious. And again, no matter what it is, work, family, finance, I need to cast my anxieties on God again. Go to Jesus and allow him to give me rest. It's there for us every day, no matter what the circumstance. Verse 7, in the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble, like, like a bundle of dry straw. They're burned up. Verse 8, at the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, stood firm like a wall. The flood stood up in a heap. The currents stood waiting in a stack. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. Three statements saying the same thing in different ways. One young student, he was marveling at what God had done at the Red Sea, how God had opened the waters, how the people of Israel had walked through on dry ground. And his seminary professor said, based on some of the thinking in the early 20th century, listen, um, the people of Israel probably walked through a um, shallow marsh or a, a reedy swamp. Probably anyone could have walked through. And the student thought for a minute, and then he said, wow, amazing. The whole Egyptian army drowned in a shallow marsh just in a reedy swamp. Well, the language of this hymn from beginning to end is not of a shallow marsh. It is of a deep sea. And we have no reason to doubt what is written here. Verse 9 of Exodus 15, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Pharaoh, speaking here, his declarations, presumptuous, empty, blinded by his own pride. What he says, those words could be the words of any enemy. Remember, we were reading 1 Peter chapter 5, and we learned there that we actually do have an enemy. The devil prowls like a lion, seeking someone to devour. Jesus says of him that his intent is to steal and kill and destroy But God, verse 10, you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. With little effort, God thwarted the intent of Pharaoh. And so in our case as well. If we are under spiritual oppression, if we're sensing the attack of the enemy, what do we do? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, we hold up the shield of faith, faith in Jesus, not in ourselves. And with that shield of faith, according to the Scriptures, we can thwart all of the fiery darts being thrown in our direction by the enemy. Did we hold up the shield of faith this week? Faith in Jesus? Yahweh. The God who is mighty to save is the incomparable one, and he fights for us. 
Often, in the challenges of life, we think that we're alone, that we struggle alone. The truth of Scripture is that God is with us, in us, and that he fights for us. He goes before us. Verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? The, the questions are rhetorical. The obvious answer is none is like you. The gods of the nations don't compare to you in, in holiness, in awesome power, in extraordinary wonders, in authority. In fact, they're not gods at all. When we were dedicating the two boys, uh, I read from Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Did you hear the words of her song? 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Her confession echoes the confession of the Israelites as they leave the land of Egypt. Verse 12, you stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. They died. It's amazing. Yahweh, he commands the winds and the waves. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. So, in the Gospels, when the disciples are in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and their boat is being tossed by the winds and the waves... The water is already filling the boat, and they're afraid that they will drown. And Jesus rebukes the winds and the waves. They are just awestruck. And what do they say? Who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? Only God has authority over all things. Only he has authority over the wind and the seas. Could this be God in our boat? Is Jesus Yahweh? And, of course, the message of the gospel is that he is. He's our warrior. And we still sing, be still, my soul. The waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. A famous traditional hymn, favorite hymn of Eric Liddell. Eric Liddell won a gold medal in the 1924 Olympics. Then he went to China as a missionary and later died in a prison of war camp. This was his favorite hymn. This is what he sang. No matter what our circumstances, no matter how difficult, we sing the song of Moses. We sing the song of God's deliverance. We know that God fights for us, that he is with us. Verse 13 of Exodus chapter 13, uh, 15, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. God leads his people with steadfast love, unchanging love. He leads them to his dwelling place, of the dwelling place of his holy presence. That's always the destination for God's people. The pillar of cloud fire going before the people of Israel. God's manifest presence among them. The same presence that was there when God was speaking to Moses through the burning bush. The same presence that was there in the temple that stood in Jerusalem. The same presence that appeared when the disciples were praying and the Holy Spirit came over them and they spoke in tongues in Jerusalem. Here, the people of Israel, their shepherd, Yahweh, he doesn't leave them. He's redeemed them. He's bought them back from slavery. He's with them all the way, leading them through unknown territory, and they can rest in his presence. Listen to the following verses, verse 14. 
the peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. You see the fear of the peoples living in Canaan. They're uh, dismayed. They are worried, paralyzed by fear. Why? Verse 16, terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. There's still a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. Another translation, whom you have begotten, created. There's creation language here. God has created a people. Birthed through the Exodus. God, Yahweh, he's fulfilling his promises to Abraham. As the people now journey to Canaan, there's nothing intimidating about these people, the people of Israel. But everything about their God is intimidating. He intimidates the nations. Later, these lines are echoed in the words of Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho. When the spies enter Jericho, what does she say to them? Joshua chapter 2, verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before when you came, before you when you came out of Egypt. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So when you read those words, how foolish were the people of Israel to shrink back in fear when it was their moment to enter the promised land. Thinking of their experience, the fact that God had demonstrated his power through ten plagues, the fact that God had guided them through the Red Sea, opened the sea for them so that they could pass through on dry ground, knowing that God had defeated their enemies, the Egyptians, knowing that God had sustained them in the desert, how foolish were they to then shrink back? And we need to ask ourselves the same questions. How foolish are we to shrink back? When we face a difficulty, we face a challenge, and we shrink back in fear and forget who God is, that he's unchanging in his love, that he's present, that he fights for us, Yahweh, the God who is mighty to save, is unchanging in his love. He fights for us. He leads us. Verse 17. You will bring them in and plant them, establish them, on your mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, The Lord will reign forever and ever. The destination for the people of Israel? God's presence. That's always the destination for God's people. The sanctuary of God, the hill on Jerusalem where the temple will stand, that's God's destination for the people of Israel. The people settled in the promised land, God dwelling among them. That's always God's destiny for his people. Not only we today in God's presence, God among us, but God dwelling in us, Jesus says in John chapter 14. God abiding in us and we going with him to be with him forever. Members of his unstoppable eternal reign. This is God's purpose for us. And so Yahweh, the God who is mighty to save, is faithfully guiding us in his presence to his presence. The section ends with these words. 
For when the horses of Pharaoh, with his chariots and his horsemen, went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And so the song is an obvious instant hit. Hit. Miriam pulls out the tambourine, encourages the women to sing and to dance, just a confession of how great God is. In fact, this song, the song of Moses, it was sung at Passover celebrations. It was sung throughout the year in Israel's history. It was sung in every family, every home. It's a song that celebrates what God does for Israel at the Red Sea, how he defeats the Egyptians, how he delivers them. But it's much more a song about who God is, the kind of God he is for the ages. Listen to what the Apostle John says when he receives a vision from heaven. Revelation chapter 15, verse 3. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, And the song of the Lamb saying, Great and amazing are your deeds. O Lord God the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. It's a song for the ages a song to be sung for all time, a song to be sung by all those who have experienced salvation in Jesus. Why should we sing today? Because Jesus, our Savior, the Passover Lamb, He came, He died for us, He redeemed us from slavery to sin. He set us free, bought us back through his shed blood. We've come through the waters of baptism, confessing Jesus as Savior and Lord. We've been recreated in Christ. We are God's very own possession. Jesus is our warrior. He fights for us today. He guides us by his spirit. We walk in his presence. We trust in his unchanging love. And Jesus will take us all the way to heaven to be with him forever in the Father's house. And so we have every reason to sing. Amen? Amen. Amen. I should sing, but let's stand for prayer. The appropriate response would be for the women to grab their tambourines and dance. We have every reason to sing. Maybe today is the first day that you're hearing about the God who is mighty to save, the first time that you're hearing that God actually loves you, that he sent his own son, Jesus, to die for you. God wants you to know him. Jesus came and died for you because you could not earn salvation on your own. There's no way that you could be righteous enough. None of us ever could be. And so God sent his son, the perfect sacrifice, to die on our behalf, took our sin upon himself out of love, paid the price we could never pray, pay so that we might be, receive salvation, be forgiven of our sins, and receive the gift of eternal life. It's what God has for you today. If you've never prayed a prayer of surrender to Jesus, if you've never given your life to him, 
Maybe you live here under guilt and shame and fear. Jesus wants to lift that. He wants to offer you freedom, forgiveness. He has life for you. So if that's your desire, pray this prayer together with me. It'll be posted on the screen. God, I desire to know you personally. Please forgive me for leading my own life and rejecting your love. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and paying the price for for all my sin. I ask you to forgive my sins. Jesus, lead me from this day forward. Fill me with your spirit. Set me free. Make me into the kind of person you created me to be. Thank you, God, for adopting me into your family and gifting me with eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, go to the Welcome Center, come forward for prayer. Don't go home without sharing that with someone here. And now I want to pray for all of my brothers and sisters. Father, we thank you for salvation in you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that you are the God who is mighty to save. Thank you that you are unchanging in your love. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You were present to act on behalf of the people of Israel. You're present to act on our behalf today. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters and for myself that we would walk in faith. That each day this week, this summer, we would hold up the shield of faith. Each time that we sense the attack of the enemy, Lord, may we just deposit our faith in you. And with that shield of faith, we can thwart every fiery dart thrown in our direction. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. And not only with us, but in us by your Spirit. And so, Lord, may we count on your counsel, your conviction, your guidance, Uh, your encouragement, your empowerment each day. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Your grace is far beyond anything we can imagine. And now I pray, Lord, that the grace, your grace, would be upon my brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Long weekend.